I'm Andrew Haynes, and this is the Fair Game Podcast, the place where we talk about all things golf. What state in the country do you think has the most golfers? Here's a hint. It's not New York, or California, or even Florida. It's Minnesota. After hearing that, this golfing hotspot got our attention. We hit up a few of our friends from Minnesota to learn more about the golf scene in their hometown and what they've been up to this season. One is John Moody, the man behind Sentinel Golf, a modern golf accessory brand making some major moves in the space. The other is Greg Jamil, the program director at the Solomon Hughes Junior Golf Academy, a youth-focused program that uses golf as a bridge to encourage academic and athletic greatness. Let's get started. Greg, John, thanks for being on the podcast. Um, I was mentioning briefly, this episode is kind of dedicated to Minnesota, and a lot of people may not know this. I just figured this out, but apparently uh, there are more golfers per capita uh, in Minnesota than any other state um, in the country. Did you guys know that? I did not. It's a fun stat, though. <laughs> yeah, I definitely never heard of that stat before. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I have one more stat also, just because I was nerding out. Uh, Minnesota is the only state to host all 13 of the USGA championships. So what that means is every event from amateur, mid-amateur, senior open, US open, is the only state to host uh, all of them, which I think is cool. Uh, so that brings me to two questions. What is going on in Minnesota? What are you guys doing over there? Well, I, I mean, I think it's... It, 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 a lot of it plays to the weather, and I, I feel like there are some, uh, some, a, a little bit of Minnesota uh, masochist, masochism going on uh, because we have such a short window to actually play. Um, everybody takes advantage of when summer hits. Everybody wants to get out and play, and we're we're just we're good with hunkering down and hibernating during the winter. But when it gets nice, we want to get out and. You know, the, the number of public spaces and places to play, it's just, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that that's, that's the stat because uh, I think everybody rallies around summer and, and loves to get out and play. That's awesome. If you had to describe your golf season, I know here in New York, I would say our golf season realistically. And again, I'm probably a bit of a masochist because I will go out in February where it's probably like, <laughs> if we get a 40 degree day, like, you know, you layer up and put on a bubble coat. What is the average, like when is it warm enough to go out and then when is it cold enough where you have to put the clubs away on average? I personally play in terms of cold. I play basically until the leaves cover the ground. So I'll play when it's cold. If it's snowing, I'm not going to play. But I'll play well into November for sure if it's not too cold. I mean, what's the temperature? <sighs> Snow weather. I don't know. 30s? Right, Mid 30s. 30s. Yeah. Yeah. If we're lucky, we're playing in March. Usually it lands sometime in April as far as how it fires up. But yeah, once those leaves come down, the biggest issue is just finding your ball. So, Right. All right. So that season sounds pretty close to what we deal with here in New York, but I'm sure the winter is, is brutal. Yeah, the winter, it's pretty much not an option. <laughs> and then what do you guys do when it's cold? Are you just inside sim? Are you hitting balls into a net in the garage? How do you, what's your, what's your golf fix? from you know late from thanksgiving to you know march what are you guys doing i'm a light sim player and and like very light play through the off season i am by no means grinding it out 
I did, I did just get a net mostly for my son to use at home for me to kind of mess around with, but I'm not really playing much during the winter unless I can get lucky and get out of town. Yeah, that's the same. I, I save all my guy trips for the wintertime and then get out of town and play with my dudes. But when it's the wintertime, I'm, I'm pretty much hunkering down. I try to go to Top Golf maybe a couple times, you know, but the stakes are low there. So, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, you like get use the rental set, just go out. Right. Hit, hit some, just, just to get some sense of feel. Right. That's cool. So you guys pretty much have an official off season. Very, very official. <laughs> You have to, because then it's like, if you really want to go out there, you can, but something is wrong with you. Um, but I agree. Sometimes when I try to sneak out and play some golf in December, it's that one day when it's kind of warm enough or whatever, and you go out and it's, then you get out there, you're like, I shouldn't have done this, but it's too late at that point. So we, anyway. we were just talking the other day, though, about how could we do something outside? And it definitely would be like variation of, a golf ball and i know it's done in a few pockets around town but around minneapolis there's a chain of lakes and uh driving through that chain of lakes during the winter you look out and you're like man it'd be kind of fun to just like throw down an orange foam ball and just like hit this thing around the lake so that was we were, we were just talking about that the other day of like what could we do that would be fun to do in the winter see that's kind of fun it's uh, I feel like it was last winter when I was just randomly going down a tangent of what are some golf things that I could find and post on Fair Games account. Uh, so Adam Scott, one of our founders, um, he's actually in Atlanta right now prepping for the the final, which is cool. Uh, but he he is from or lives in Switzerland, and there is a course, Kranz uh, Montagna Montana. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly, but they have there. Uh, there is a like a winter golf event where the course is covered in snow and they go out and play. I'll have to find the picture and send it to you guys, but it's insane. It's basically <clears throat> people out there in, in ski gear hitting a golf ball, which I could not do. It's so, so good. There's a way. I, I, I would do it once. Once. That's it. Yeah. In the middle of the winter there, I feel like you get a motivation to go outside and do something, but it definitely would not be consistent. <laughs> I agree. It's just too cold. So anyways, enough rambling. So I would love for each of you guys to just introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about you. Maybe start with how you got into golf and then a little bit about what you do specifically now. My name is John Moody. Um, I got into golf through family. You know, golf has always been a family-oriented sport for me. I, I had a brief uh, competitive stint uh, through my junior varsity golf experience but outside of that it's it's always been fun it's always been family it's been a really great uh opportunity for um just me to spend time with family and also you know friends as well but it has historically revolved around family um i in terms of what i do for work um you know for the past two years greg and i have been piecing together this Solomon hughes senior golf academy with a lot of incredible people here in the Twin Cities uh, helping bring this to life. Uh, I also run a knitwear company uh, called the Northwestern Knitting Company, uh, where it's a direct-to-consumer U.S. manufacturing concept. Uh, where we're building fabrics uh, in New Jersey, doing our cut and sew in New York. And then I also run a, a golf-oriented 
sort of product design, product development project called Sentinel. And that's basically uh, an opportunity for me to collaborate and work with a lot of great people in the golf space and try to rethink, um, you know, some of the things that some of the sort of standardized equipment, how can we kind of rethink that and provide my perspective in my background being material sourcing, product design, um, and collaboration. And so that's, that's kind of majority of my time is spent on that trifecta. Nice. Awesome. Uh, do you have just connected to your golf experience? Do you have a, uh, favorite course in Minnesota that you like? Uh, the one that, the one that I get to have a chance to play every day, well, not every day. Um, but when I do play, I'm usually playing a course called Medicata. Uh, and so that's just right in the heart of Minneapolis. Uh, it's a Donald Ross course and, um, Bobby Jones won the 1929 us amateur there. Uh, hopefully I get that year, right. Not, um, apologize, but, uh, some incredible history there. And it's a course that you can play all day, every day. You never get sick of it. It's unbelievable. Nice. When you're playing, what's your go-to? I always like to ask these questions now. Uh, when you're playing on the course, especially people that used to play competitively. Uh, I never played competitively. Like I didn't pick up golf until much later in life. Like I was in my mid twenties. Um, and then I always just kind of just played straight up. Cause that's what I thought you had to do. But then especially working at fair game, I'm learning more about these games and different ways to play. Um, our CEO, Eric loves to play Nassau. Um, and he likes to just, you know, throw, throw a little money on the table just to make things interesting. But what, like when you're playing with, with buddies on the weekend, what, what's your go-to game? I, we usually, we'll, we'll, we'll usually just play best ball. Um, you know, right. usually if I'm playing with a bunch of guys, we'll just go best ball, usually hand, you know, handicap adjusted and just straight up best ball, sometimes match play, but mostly, mostly keep it pretty pure. A lot of times that I play is for our men's league. Just, I have three kids at home and so I don't have a huge, uh, allocated time to play. So that's a lot of my fun you know allocated time to play golf through the week is through our men's league for sure i feel like best ball is the game that doesn't get enough love and respect it's great and like everyone gets to hit shots but then you're also not out there for ex insane amounts of time you know absolutely and there's just less pressure where it's like you know you sprayed one right it doesn't matter because your your partner's in the fairway so well let me clarify because I guess how I look at best ball is just straight up, you know, score, not, not a scramble. Got it. Not a scramble. I see you're saying, see, I get the two confused. I may have my terminology wrong, but that's, that's what we call it up, 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 up North up here. Got it. See, that works. So basically everyone is teeing off. Everyone is playing their ball. And then as a team, you take the best score. Right. Got it. Sweet. So, Greg, tell us a little bit about you and, and what you've been up to. I see those guitars behind you, so I know music is part of what you do. Is that Prince on the wall? That's uh, Jimi Hendrix back there. Oh, it's Hendrix. Um, Epic. Yeah, yep, yep. But yeah, so I'm Greg Jamil, a.k.a. Greg Grease. And uh, so I, I do a lot of different things. Uh, grew up in Minneapolis. Started playing golf when I was a child through my grandfather. He was a golfer, avid golfer. Um, I have kind of a funny journey with golf though, cause I'm a lefty. So I started playing as a lefty when I was a kid and then I stopped playing many years, got back into it maybe five or so years ago and decided to play right. So now I'm a righty. And so I kind of had to reset, restart everything. So 
feel like I can say I haven't been playing that long, but I'd be bluffing because I started playing when I was a kid. So that's kind of my story with golf. Never played competitively. I wouldn't say that my skill level is is there. Uh, but what I do for a living, well, so I've been working with John on this project. I'm program director with Sami Hu Senior Golf Academy. And so that's been uh, what I've been focusing a lot of my time on re- recently. But I also am a musician and an artist. So when I say AKA Greg Grease, that's what that is. Uh, so yeah, musician, artist, visual artist. And then I'm also a bag maker, leather maker. I do a lot of different stuff. I just like to be creative and make things and yeah, be creative is my kind of my groove. So that's my thing. <laughs> awesome. That's super fun. It sounds like there's a lot of, at least uh, over my career, I've worked, kind of been in like the editorial space and sometimes, and that's kind of how I met John. Like I used to work at a magazine and what we did was, you know, we were all about well-made, interesting things. And that's when I discovered John and what he was doing at NWKC. But then there's like tons of other brands, at least in your part of the world, uh, that are doing some really fun stuff. Because I think it's a part of the country that doesn't really get a lot of shine. Um, and there's a lot of creativity there. You know, there's artists, there's there's craftsmen um, doing some really fun stuff. So it's, it's cool to hear you guys have a, have a scene there. Um, but can we talk a little bit about the righty-lefty situation? So sure. in real life, are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm left-handed. You're a lefty in real life. So then yep. you started out playing golf as a lefty. Correct. And then you switch to righty. Yep. So now you play righty. Now I play righty. Yep. Except for I put lefty still. And let me clarify, because <laughs> Greg Greg does have one lefty club in his bag for emergency purposes. This is I very do, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I started taking it out because I'm trying not to lean on it. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I have never heard of anyone playing with an ambid. You basically play with an ambidextrous set. I guess sort of, yeah. You know. And then, so lefty putter, and then what other club in your bag is a lefty? Uh, pitching wedge. The pitching wedge? Yeah. Well, okay, so now we're going to, okay, we're going to spiral for a second here. So pitching wedge, lefty. What other wedges are in the bag? Gap wedge, sand wedge? Um, just a pitching wedge. Yep. So I'm still, like I said, getting into this righty life. Sure. You're just I'm switching it over. together. Right? Yeah, I'm getting together. So I just have two pitching wedges, righty and lefty. Yeah. Oh, you're you're alternating. So then, okay, bunker shot. Does it bunker depend shot, on lefty. The, the hole that you're playing? Bunker shot, lefty for sure. Lefty for sure every time. Oh, yeah. Interesting. What about yeah. the drivers? The drivers righty. Drivers righty. That's why I switched over. Because oh, drivers, because you were liking it. Right, right. I was I was hitting it as a joke, and I was like, this feels okay, and it looks way better. So. Hmm. Let me see what's going on here. So then I slowly started switching them out one at a time. I first got a seven righty, and I would play with that. And I just started hitting them way better with that. And I was like, okay. And I'm so then I just switched them all over after that. <laughs> so that was like, I don't know, maybe this three is cool. years ago now that I switched them over. I think this is my third year righty. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, connected to that, because this is a, a curious tangent. Now I'm going to talk about guitars for a second. So I have a very basic understanding of guitars, but obviously it's an instrument that requires both hands to play. Uh, the hand that does the strumming and the hand that actually you know creates the notes. Uh, if you if someone is a traditional righty, like I am a righty, is my right hand at the top making the notes, or is my right hand doing the strumming? 
Your right hand is doing the strumming. My right hand is doing the strumming, but my left hand is made, making the notes, which I would argue is just as a complex, or if not more complex oh, yeah. thing to do. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Interesting. Which is probably, and then how long have you been playing guitar? Well, I wouldn't say I'm the best guitar player. I'm a drummer. Got um, it. So I'm another dual hand activity. Yeah. And so that, I think that's kind of what lended it for me. Um, when I first started playing drums, I would play open handed because I'm a lefty. And whenever I, I played in church, and so they always had the drum set mm -hmm. up for righties. So I would always play open hand. And I remember I had a teacher and he was, he said, you need to play cross hand. You can't play open hand because you can't get the same rhythmic timing. And so, mm. uh, so then I played righty with the cross hand for a little bit, but I was like, this is, this is wrong. So then I just started to switch the drums around. And so I think maybe that was what it was, you know, at a, at an early age, I was kind of training my brain to do both things. Plus lefties were always left out of everything. So we, we have to, you know, use our right hands to use scissors and, you know, that lefty life. <laughs> right. That's pretty cool. The lefty life is real. Our, someone on our team, uh, Jamie, a product manager, uh, she is, she's a lefty. But yeah, it's, I tried to hit a couple balls. It is not easy, but it's, it's really <laughs> impressive because it's, it sounds like you've, you've been doing a lot of things that require both right and left, like concentration. And you've, you found that spot where you can kind of like feel it out and just make it work. So that's cool. I'm sure when, <laughs> when you hit a tee shot down the middle with your driver and then you pull out your seven, I'm sure people, that first time people are confused. They have to be. <laughs> yeah. And now, now I'm not on the seven anymore. I just use the putt. But people will see me from other holes and come over and be like, "Were you? Did you drive right-handed?" I'm like, "Yeah." They're like, "And you're putting left." But funny thing is, is last week I was playing at uh at, at Greg Coleman Golf Tournament, and my teammate was a right-handed guy who putted left. So we were on teams. Mm. We were like, "Yeah, lefty putters." <laughs> people, I, I people can do it. I mean, I can understand. Oh. I've tried the one. Uh where you reverse your, you put your left hand lower. Cause I think what it does, it just, it takes a lot of, you know, pushes or pulls out and you just have to just, you know, commit to the pendulum. So I can understand people that just commit to that switch because it does, it totally works. So awesome. Um, now, can you guys tell us both a little bit about uh, the Academy? Cause I think I've heard some stuff, but I love to maybe start with who was Solomon Hughes. A lot of people don't know the story. And I think it's a really interesting story when you talk about, this part of the country and then also just, you know, connected to uh, golf specifically within, you know, the African-American community. Uh, who, who was Solomon? He, he initially enrolled to play in the 1948 St. Paul Open um, with Ted Rhodes and Bill Spiller and was denied to play in that tournament. Um, ultimately, because of his relationship with Joe Lewis and the other groups of, of players that were trying to play, um, it started a years-long legal battle, um, kind of spearheaded by Joe Lewis, but very much um, Solomon Hughes was, was there in support along the way, and that ultimately came to an end when they were able to play in the 1952 St. Paul Open. Um, and he's just always uh, been an incredible pioneer, an incredible instructor, and in, in creating this relationship with his family, an incredible father. Uh, and and just um, always always encouraged his his kids to follow their own paths, not necessarily pushing golf, um, but but encouraging them to pursue what they really love to do in life. And that yielded 
uh, a, an incredible assortment and wide variety of what his kids ultimately went on to do. Uh, but they were all equipped with his, you know, love and encouragement through that process. If I can hop in on that too, uh, I don't know if it was mentioned that Sami Senior was a black golfer. And so that's why he uh, had these different circumstances and obstacles that he had to overcome that John had just described. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, and then also just to add a little bit to his story, he was a sky cap. Um, that's one of the reasons why he was in Minneapolis because he could get a, a job as a sky cap. And so then he was able to uh, use his network of black sky caps and he taught all of them over at the Hiawatha Golf Course, like John had mentioned. And he's also responsible for uh, integrating the Hiawatha Clubhouse. And so that's why they just recently changed the name to the Solomon Hughes Senior Clubhouse. And so, yeah, he's a pioneer that represents a lot for the Twin Cities community, but really for the golf community. And historically, I think that it's a really important story to tell. So, you know, it's really cool that we get to highlight it here today. That's really cool. By the way, I didn't know, first of all, like when, when John and I were speaking a while ago, he was telling me about Solomon and just his history. And it's someone that like I had never heard of, which I think it's a, it's a really powerful story within golf. Uh, I, but I also didn't know this is the first time me hearing that I didn't know that Joe Lewis played golf. I had, I had no idea. Like people hear of Joe Lewis and they think of boxing, but you know, knowing that like this guy was into the game is actually pr pretty rad. I'm, I'm actually Googling him now and I'm seeing some, some pretty cool pictures come up. Apparently, Joe Lewis was the first black golfer to play in a PGA-sponsored tourney. Right. And so that was in relation to the Solomon Hughes um, and Ted Rhodes situation in 48 when they, they tried to enter into the PGA at Keller in St. Paul. And so then when they were denied, they got with Joe Lewis and he tried to enter in, I think it was California the next year, 49 maybe. And uh, then he mm -hmm. filed a civil lawsuit. And then after that, he was the first one that was able to. Yeah. So pretty, pretty cool. That's a that's a rad story. That's so. So obviously, you know, this guy's got a lot of history and, and means a lot uh, to where from to where you guys are from. And he is kind of the inspiration for this academy. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what the day to day looks like. Um, it's specifically for juniors, correct? Correct. So the Salmon Hughes Senior Golf Academy, we, we do two different things. We have a community program and then we also have a fellowship team. And so the community program is mostly about getting different diverse communities involved into golf, most specifically black and brown communities. And so that's doing street outreach, doing different uh, street open events, popping up with um, different like kits that we can use out in the streets, basically wiffle balls and things like that. Um, and then going to doing top golf events. And then we also partner with First Tee and we do some summer camps. And then we have the fellowship team and the fellowship team side is a little bit more detailed. And so that's for high school age students that have some experience playing golf. And we do, we focus on golf, but really we use golf as a catalyst to work on a lot of different things. And so, you know, as, as I know, you know, golf, you can learn a lot about life just being out there. Right. And so we use that as a tool to kind of have different conversations when we're out on the course, but there's also a lot of opportunities for them to learn by themselves while they're out there. And then we also do a lot That's off awesome. of the course. Yeah. And so then we also focus on, on college prep 
things of that nature off of the course. Um, and then really, really, there's a lot of a lot of long list of things. I have a couple notes and I don't want to forget some of these things that are really important to us that we share with these youth. So I'm, I'm going to just pull these up really fast. And so um, for sure, the big thing, I think, when we're talking about when we came together, John, um, and I just want to say that me and John also came together in the space of uh, being creative and, and clothing and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of funny that that we end up in this golf space years later as friends. We started, you know, and so it's pretty cool. But <clears throat> when we came together thinking about a program, we wanted to think about how we can change the game of golf and, and we can make it more inclusive. Right. And so we started to think about why is it that people like me don't feel comfortable playing golf. And we, th we broke it down to access and resources, right? And it's been kind of interesting this journey with the summer fellowship team because access and resources definitely exist in the world of golf for young people. And I can say that there's a lot of really cool organizations that provide those types of things for young people. The difference is, is we're talking about the narratives of golf and we're talking about the culture of golf, right? And so when you're you're talking to a young black and brown youth and you're asking them to come out on the golf course, they don't really feel comfortable. And that could be for any number of reasons, right? But the biggest thing is that there isn't any representation on, on the co golf course for them. And so for us, it's all about changing that narrative. And it starts with that, right? So if they can see representations of themselves out on the course and in the world of golf, right? And people that are uh, leaders in these different type of organizations and uh, influencers, people like Roger Steele, these type of people, right? They can see that, oh, wow, there's different opportunities in golf and it's a fun, cool sport to play, right? Then we got them hook, line, and sinker. Then we bring them in and we start right. to actually teach them about all these different things like self-awareness, patience, uh, responsible risk taking, like the whole list of different things that you can learn from playing golf itself. So, yeah, that's like a, a, a short spiel slash medium length, but I could keep going. So, John, do you want to add anything to that? <laughs> I don't have anything to 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 add um, other than. In, in looking at how the, the Solomon Hughes Senior Golf Academy has come from concept to creation, um, what, what uh, literally sitting at this table that I'm sitting at right now with Greg two years ago, like, what can we do? What can we do with the things around us and coming from where we come from, having the things that we have, what can we do to pool all of these things together and create something that's both fun and meaningful for kids in the community. And to, to look back at that conversation after this is the last week of the fellowship team here this week, and to look back at, at what has happened this summer, uh, I think we can both feel really uh, uh, proud and amazed of the, the number of people that have contributed to making this first year special. And I think to, to everybody that has helped usher, you know, usher the program along, it's, it's ultimately become an incredible way for those that want to contribute to contribute. And what we found is that so many people want to help. They just need like the outlet to do it. And so here locally, we feel like this has become an incredible outlet and channel and ability for those that want to contribute to do something, to do that in whatever capacity they want. So that's. That's kind of my add to that.
Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so true when you think of the power of, and a lot of people don't realize how important and how powerful this is because, you know, it's easy to forget, like when you see people that look like you doing things, running businesses, presidents, whatever, you forget it becomes this subconscious thing where, oh, I can do that. I can do that. And it's just so much easier when when you see someone, and it, that's all it truly takes. When you just see someone, it could be someone with your skin color or your gender just doing a thing. It That first wall is probably the hardest. When you really think about it, that first wall is the hardest thing to get down. 100%. And once you get that down, the possibilities kind of become endless from there. So that's awesome. Yeah, shout out Roger. Roger's great. And and he's the perfect example. He was on a podcast earlier this year, and and he was talking along those same lines about you know just this notion of of influence and just when when people are able to see someone who sees the world from their perspective, it just makes it so much easier to have those conversations. And then also it's they may like golf and and they may not not like the golf, but at least they've tried it. And I think that's kind of like what what it's all about is getting people to try the game. Um, what age group, out of curiosity, are, are these kids? Is it a wider range or is it a pretty tight, tight group? So the fellowship team is high school age. Um, the community programs is wider range, pretty much all ages. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. And then you said there's one more week left. You guys are wrapping up the season. Yep. Nice. Uh, was there like a, or will there be an, an end of end of season tournament or, or anything like that going on with the kids? So, yep, on Friday, we're going to be playing out at Royal Golf Club, and we're going to be celebrating them and having a nice family barbecue afterwards. So it should be a blast. Yep. Fun. Cool, man. That's good stuff. It sounds like a great program. We'll definitely have to We'll add a link to the podcast so you guys can check it out. Um, can we talk about gear and, and things for a second? Because both of you guys have uh, some really interesting backgrounds in that. I know with you and John, and um, I know you from from NWKC, but Sentinel. How old is Sentinel at this point? Is it a few years old? Uh, a little over a year. It, we we've been pushing it along. Um, so it's it's pretty new, but it's also an extension of you know what I have been doing with the Northwestern Knitting Company project. So it it feels very similar, and it it, it it's basically become a a, a really fun outlet um just in the specific lens of golf for sure and then did it all start out with that rangefinder pouch was that the first thing yes basically so me and two of my very good college friends um started to put this one of them was like hey one of the last things on the bag uh that's really not well considered from a design standpoint is a rangefinder case why don't we why don't we make one and so it was, it was an excuse for all of us to build something together. Um, and, and me bringing my sort of product design, product sourcing and network, uh, we started with that range finder case and we went to my buddy, Phil shade who runs 1733 out of Chicago. This guy for anybody that hasn't seen him, uh, is an incredible manufacturer, not only himself, but the business that he's built. And the guy is, you know, equally and probably more of a gear and materials nut um, than I am. And so I went to Phil and I was like, hey, Phil, you know, we want to make we want to make this. And I gave him this rudimentary sketch. And so Phil uh, ultimately made the first prototype. And then Phil connected me with uh, the factory who's now making them at scale. Uh, and they're out in Kingston, New York. Um, run by Asa Warshawski, who uh, has been a 
key key contributor to bringing that to you know a, a, a meaningful uh, and and fun collaborator as well. So it's been a, a crazy process in making that one product, and it's really allowed the rest of the project to continue experimenting and figure out what those other nooks and crannies and um, sort of things that are left, uh, you know, stones left unturned or left to be reconsidered. Right. It's so exciting because, I mean, for me being a designer, I have that same approach to the, the golf things that I buy. And maybe not just with golf, it's pretty much everything that I buy and, and consume in my life where things that have that higher level of design consideration, I just appreciate. You I mean, it's just like like the, the basic thing. So that's really cool. And it's been fun to see the brand grow, turning from rangefinders to even little things. Like I saw the other day, there was a uh, uh, the, the scorecard holder, just a very simple, or the yardage book holder, like just little things like that that are made very well, I appreciate. Like leather and moleskin on the inside. Like I'm like, ooh, that's that's nice. It's really been like from a, from a sourcing perspective, for me, it's been an, a really fun chance to introduce outside manufacturers into the space of golf. Right. Like that's been kind of one of the big things is whether it's a, a brand making something that it's, you know, this, this, it's this beautiful object and it has utility in golf. Why don't we introduce it in that, in that environment or somebody that's manufacturing something like Vibor in Amsterdam. These, this, for, again, if, if you're not familiar with it, it's this incredible knit lab in Amsterdam. And these guys have been knitting these crazy fabrics on these absurd machines and just do. And, and I've always been a fan of their work. And so to be able to introduce the Bybor concept into golf and have an avenue to do that um, alongside Pushcut and 1733 and even NWKC, it was just like that's the reason why it's been so fun is just introducing those new perspectives and outside perspectives in the lens of golf. Yeah, see, that's really cool. I was going to say just when you're talking about materials, you're right. There are so many non-golf things that you see that, you know, you're like, hey, like this would be actually be really cool or, or very functional as a golf X, a jacket or bag or a thing like, you know, hey, there's this there's this Arcteryx, whatever material that, you know, no, for some reason, no one has ever considered. It. And I think you're right. When you think of it's, it's probably been the longest time where companies within golf are pulling and sourcing from the same things and places. And you kind of have to take a step back and pause and you realize that everyone's kind of doing the same thing. And then there's definitely a way to make it better. So that's awesome. Uh, Greg, tell us a little bit about the things that, that, that you make. We know, we know lots about your lefty righty. Uh, what other, what other things are you making? So is it primarily leather goods that you do? Um, I do a lot of different things. Uh, I just first want to start out by saying that John is really a true visionary. I just want to give him his love because seriously, what he's talking about in terms of taking stuff and putting it in different spaces, that's how I met him in the first place. He used to have a shop down in downtown Minneapolis and I was in a band and also a solo artist. And I love doing the same thing, like taking music and putting it in different types of spaces. So not your traditional venues and these type of things, doing mm -hmm. art galleries and these type of things. And so we came together and, and did some events. He first had us in an event that was in his shop and then he had the band and then I did a release at his shop and we had people that were making shirts on site. And there was a lot of really cool creative things that were going on from different worlds all coming together. And so I just want to give John his props. And that's how we came together originally. So as he's talking about that, and as you're talking about that, it just made me think about that, 
it's, it's really cool. So um, things that I make though. So it really, it started for me with trying to create some really cool merchandise as an artist. And so, you know, what do you do to stand out in the crowd, right? Everybody has CDs, everybody has t-shirts, the simple merch things. And so I started to make these leather medallions. And from there, I started to fall in love with sewing and making things. And I ended up going to school for it and for industrial sewing and got deep into that and made leather bags for for a few years for a couple of luxury bag companies and did that manufacturing side of things for a while. Um, and then my art career started to work out a little bit better for me. So I was able to get out of that and start to really focus on my own thing. And so then I started to make uh, different leather bags. I've, I've tinkered with menswear, uh, jewelry, a lot of different stuff. Basically anything that I think is cool that I want to make, I just kind of do. And I think about it in terms of art pieces rather than like a, a mass product type of thing. So yeah, my my uh, making side is, it's kind of funny that it's really tied into my music side and everything, although it's very different. Nice. That's really cool. It's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is how difficult it is to make something and make it well especially when you think of a material like a leather when it's just the process to you know get source and make really good leather as a starting point is not easy one of the things that i used to nerd out when i worked at that that magazine was uh you know that brand horween uh mm -hmm. that just it's beautiful leather and just we did a really cool story about that brand and their process of just like just getting to the base product which is in lots of things i think people you know they're in shoes and bags and watch straps and all that fun stuff but just just the step to make the good leather and then you have to make the bag is is really impressive so yeah um that's that's really dope um do you have have you made any pieces specifically for golf yet greg or, or no um no i mean i i always wear my shirts while i'm out there but uh i wouldn't say i've made anything specifically for golf no but speaking to the leather, the Horween leather thing, when you see how much leather it takes, uh, like when you have their top tier leather, the sizes that they get off of a whole bull will be like small, teeny, tiny sizes, you know? So when you see in these big bags, you're like, oh, man, that's that's a few cows right there. Right. <laughs> you got to respect. <laughs> and they're cow butts. You got to respect the cow butts. You have to respect <laughs> the materials, right? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you can't just be going crazy, just like cutting things in the, and then it's done. Yeah. Right. One one sort of tie that we found, um, you know, in within that Solomon Hughes story is Solomon used to make his own clubs. And so I think we both gravitated to that piece of his talent and his history and things um, that he was all about, not only in how he treated people, how he played, but that working with your hands, understanding quality, knowing what you want, being creative and, and making things come to life. So that's that like a, a little, a little tidbit in that story that both Greg and I, I think have really gravitated to for sure. That's cool. I didn't know that. That can be easy, by the way. I know that, uh, Adam's dad, um, Adam has sent me some pictures. His dad used to make clubs, which is just, it's just super creative and, it's not just, <laughs> there's one thing to make a thing, like, I don't know, a bag or a piece of pottery, but there's, for me, there's another, there's a whole other just level when you're making a thing that's going to be used with that level of, of not effort, but like impact and you're hitting a ball and you have to think about how it functions. That just, I think when you're, when you're at that level, you are a true tinkerer because it's not just making the thing, then you have to make sure the thing works, which is great. <laughs> right. 
it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty rad. Um, question. So maybe I'll start with Greg, and I'd love to get John's uh, take on this as well. Because like, we talk about this a little bit. I've seen some articles recently about music um, in relation to golf. Um, and some people like to listen to music. Some people don't. Uh, Greg, as a musician, right? And <laughs> maybe I think I'm going to kind of answer the question for you, but I'll say this anyways. Like music is kind of your job, right? Or it's you've you've been when you think of something in that work lens, it's for me like for example with design. If I am or at a at a computer, uh, the reason why I love golf is because it is the antithesis of me being at a computer and designing things, and it's, it's nature, and I'm completely away from that. But for you, music is obviously a passion and a profession. Uh, but then when you when you're on a golf course, do you want to listen to music or you're like I don't want to hear a note? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, when I'm by myself, I like silence. Um, so yeah, if I'm playing by myself, I don't listen to anything. I yeah. just like to be in my thoughts. But if I'm playing with friends, yeah, I got the wireless speaker. We'll play some music for sure. What's the, what's the go-to playlist? Are you or give me so a, this throw out uh, three, three three songs. So I'll, I'll throw out three songs. But first, I want to say I never knew this was controversial, but I just put it on shuffle. And I told that someone to someone recently, and they were like, what? You just put it on shuffle? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I, I like to be surprised and maybe embarrassed. But um, three songs I would say would be uh, Everybody Loves the Sunshine, Roy Ayers, um, probably Midnight Marauders, Tribe Called Quest. And the third would have to be like some Krangbin. I don't know how to say their name. I think it's Krungbin. I don't know. Krung, I love them. Krungbin. Yeah, it's some Krungbin for sure. That's a strong playlist right there. Definitely. Vibrations for sure. Right. That is, <laughs> that's good vibrations. See, I agree with that mix. I think music is one of those things where I don't listen to music a lot on the course. And I'm, I'm similar in, in that regard where if I'm by myself, I tend to be in silence. But if I'm with a group, rarely. I've probably done this. I, I probably say I listen to music 10% of the time where I play. It's because... What's the vibe of the group? Is everyone gonna like? It's the Krungbing mix. There's some childish Gambino in there. Is this is this mix gonna resonate with the group? And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I've been out there, and uh, West Side Gun came came on this on the shuffle, and I had to uh, <laughs> quickly make my way to my phone and, and switch it over. I love West Side Gun. I don't know if it's the best for the golf course. Yeah, though. I don't for know. sometimes, yeah, for the audience, sometimes you have to be conscious. That's fine, <laughs> right? But but the shuffle move is interesting. I like the surprise too. I don't. For me, if I strategically plan on a playlist, I get bored with it because the thought that I put into planning the playlist is exhausting. Exactly, and I'd rather leave that. I'd rather leave that variable in the equation up to the algorithm like you figured out for me. So Exactly. And I, I feel like that. I have a huge collection of music and I forget about so much things that I love. True. So it's it's a good way for me to remind myself what I have too. It's like, oh man, I forgot about this. This is really good. So mm -hmm. that's what I like about it mostly. You gotta trust the like songs, shuffle. You gotta exactly. trust it. Trust the trust, trust the algo. Also, I would say that this is my stance, that music without words is better than music. Look, you can throw in a couple, but I think fundamentally just instrumental vibes is a better golf vibe than songs with, with, with words. Personally. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. That's why the, the Roy Ayers, everybody loves the sunshine, get a couple words, but a couple, you know, right. We're, we're talking about 10 maximum. <laughs> <laughs> and it's relevant to what you're doing. 
Right, right. If it's a, if it's a sunny day. So, <laughs> right. John, John, what's your take? Music or no music? It's funny. I, I mean, I definitely, I'll go with, I'll never voluntarily play it in a group. Like, I'm not the one with the speaker, and I'm usually not the one, if, if music is being played in a group, I'm usually not the one playing it. Um, but if I'm by myself, I actually do... I will just like throw headphones in and every, you know, every so often. And, uh, I, I love that time too, but I'm not like, I don't usually push the music, but if it's around, I'm into it. I just, I, it's more my, my hesitation to jump in as ox control. <laughs> it can be a lot. The pre- the pressure is high in a foursome. The pressure right. is real. The pressure is high, which is funny. So anyways, um, can you guys tell us a little bit about, you know, it's summer's almost over, but not quite yet. Uh, what do you guys plan like working on just to wrap up the season? If you have any plans or things going on in the fall, but yeah, how, how are you going to finish the, uh, the golf season this year? Maybe just as, just as individuals and then maybe just with, with Solomon Hughes, uh, as individuals. So September is my birthday month. So I'm planning a golf trip i haven't figured out exactly where to go yet so if you have any suggestions Mm. um trying to go overseas interesting overseas see that's interesting because september i wonder if scotland and ireland is too cold no i think you actually might be able to get in there would it be too wet i don't know let's let's ask, ask the internet (laughs) <laughs> so yeah that's so that's what i'm doing uh before the winter time winter time i like to do at least one or two trips and with the solomon hughes senior golf academy we're closing out our summer season but we're going into the fall winter season and we're really right now kind of figuring out what the school year is going to be looking like we're going to be keeping the same fellowship team kids uh for the school year to some capacity, I think we'll be really focusing on more school-based stuff, homework, help, and prep and stuff. And then we'll be trying to get them in some different simulators and stuff as much as possible just so that they, you know, don't get too dusty over the wintertime. But uh, for sure. Yeah. So that's that's our plans on, on the org side. Nice. So the internet says uh, Ireland, for example, average temperature September, you've got 55 is a high Um 48 is a low so yeah you get some, some nice fall golf you can get it in it's doable yeah it's doable there's always bandon too as well bandon is dope mm-hmm. okay i've heard that i think john you were telling me about the incredibleness of bandon it's it's that would be a good stop okay it's okay. here's the thing about Bandon, then I will say and this is this is by no means like hashtag sponsored <laughs> but i've been once um, our, one of our co-founders, Ben Clymer, he went, I think maybe like a month or, t- or two ago, but everyone that go it's for me, it was epic. Like no one has anything bad to say about that place. Obviously you are rolling the dice a bit on the weather. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Uh, when I went, uh, I feel like there was one day where we actually had a little bit of drizzle. I was there for, I think I went for like a long four day weekend in November and it was, it was beautiful. It's it's truly golf mecca. My one, not argument, but one consideration with Bannon is to have to be conscious about the travel because like for me coming from New York, we flew to Portland and then you have to drive. It's like three or four hours of a drive. You can also fly into Bend, Oregon, I believe, which is okay, closer, yeah. but then there are less flights. So you kind of have to kind of like pick your poison, but it's one of those things where 
at least for me from New York, like the time that it would take me to get to Oregon is roughly the same amount of travel time, if not a little bit longer than getting to Europe. Like it's easier for me to, I could get to Scotland faster. Um, it's a shorter, well, the flight is roughly the same, but then the traveling from the airport to like, if I fly into Edinburgh and then I want to go play St. Andrews, the drive is an hour versus three. So you're just, yeah, there's pros and cons. Yeah, that extra time added in there. My, my, my band and travel story is uh, we flew into San Francisco and they have the one flight that goes into the smaller airport. I'm blanking on the name of this small airport near Bandon, but they had the one flight out of San Francisco that afternoon. And at the buzzer, they canceled the flight. And so we had to make the call to eat a day and wait for it or get in the car and drive. And we drove all the way through the night through the Redwood Forest and the pitch black, didn't see a thing. Oh man. Uh, and 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 made the the morning tea time, but it it those logistics can go awry for sure. That's hmm. a, it was like it was a nine hour drive. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Through the night. After waiting for like a four hour plane delay and then it canceled it. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, do what you gotta do to make tea time, right? That's dedication right there to the craft. John, how are you wrapping up the year? Just excited for this last uh, week of the program. Really excited for the end of the season celebration on the Solomon Hughes front. Uh, got a lot of fun projects on the Sentinel side that are coming through. We're experimenting with a little cut and sew. You know, it's something that we haven't done a ton of in the scope of Sentinel. So um, starting uh, to hopefully we'll have uh, we're starting with a vest uh, that we've been working on. And that should be out in, you know, next two ish weeks. And then we're actually working on a rain gear set with uh Sugarloaf social club. So we'll put out some colorways ourselves uh, and then Sugarloaf will launch our sort of collaborative colorway and construction. Um, found this crazy uh, fabric by this group uh, in Italy called Madra tech. And it's one of those things where it's just like a really fun excuse to share these stories and findings from outside the realm into uh how does Magitech fit in uh the world of golf so i'm just some fun projects like that and then kids are starting school so we're ramping up into that and some some kids sports schedules uh stepped away from my coaching duties uh for for this season so i get to just sit back and and be a crazy parent spectator (laughs) screaming on the sideline i love it that's fun Awesome. Well, thanks for the time, guys. This was fun. Thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, this was great. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fair Game Podcast. If you haven't already, you can hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever service you may be using. We've also launched the Fair Game app, golf's first digital clubhouse the place to play your game and connect with golfers across the country. You can find it in the App Store or on Google Play. You can also find us on Instagram at Fair Game Golf and check out some of our original videos on our YouTube page. You can find all these links in the podcast episode details. We'll see you next time.